I'm going to tell you that I have a problem with so-called prosperity preaching as I've seen it done many times. I have a problem with that, you know, and, um, you know, just uh, basically what that means is people are saying that you can kind of use God to put on your swag. You can be swaggerific. Because God's going to make it happen for you. Since you're a Christian, that's what that means. I believe, on the other hand, very strongly in a Bible-based prosperity of the believer. And this simply means that God wants to bless his people because we have a great task to do. And it's, going, it's not going to require money. It's going to require money. Dinero, shekels, pesos, mucho dolores. It's going to take some cold, hard cash to evangelize this world that we have been sent to do. The task of, uh, of and, and I would say further that I think it's the wrong thing for us to expect Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Carlos Slim, any of these other people out there to come do our task for us and underwrite what we have been called to do. Always, historically, when God wanted his people to do something, he blessed them with the resources to do it. Amen. Can somebody say amen? amen. And you say, but what about Nehemiah and Ezra? Yeah, but the king gave them the resources to do what needed to be done. And so that means it may I, I, come in the form of a grant or it may come in the form of a raise or your business prospering. I don't really care how that works out or fleshes out. The bottom line is, is that both Ezra and Nehemiah were the recipients of supernatural resources being released supernaturally. And I'm going to tell you this story about this fish seems to be pretty supernatural to me. I am, my hobby for well over 30 years is, I guess 35 years now, has been underwater photography. I have been in the middle of schools of fish numbering into the tens of thousands. How this man went to one spot and the first fish that comes up has a coin in its mouth is a mystery to me. I mean, that to me is supernatural. Begin with, I don't know fish eat metal, I, I, but God made this fish have an appetite for some type of coin, whether it was, I think it was gold, could have been silver, but the bottom line is simply this, is we've always, always heard it was gold, bottom line is this fish picked up this coin in its mouth like a retriever would pick up a stick that you threw and waited till Peter dropped a hook in the water. I guess that hook was baited with the most delicious, luscious-looking earthworm or something. And with that coin in his mouth, he speedily swam to that spot, grabbed that hook, Peter hauled him out and opened up his mouth, and there was a gold coin of significant enough value that he could pay his taxes and those of Jesus with it. I don't know, maybe even have something left over. Now, to me, that's pretty extraordinary that is finances released in a supernatural kind of way. 
Amen. Now, I want to show you a YouTube video, and this thing is going viral. And I'm going to tell you up front, there will be a number of different responses in the audience this morning on the part of those who view this video. A number of different responses. But just hang on. Let's see it. This, if you direct your attention to the screen, this is a man. a man dancing during an offering. Now, there are a number of different reactions to, uh, in this audience to having seen that video. Some of you are thinking, this guy must have just won the lottery. Now, trust me, if I won the lottery, I could put on moves just like that. And I would do it whether you liked it or not. Well, you hadn't seen moves till you seen me win the lottery. Of course, I have to play before I can win, and I don't play. But nonetheless, that would be one hypothesis. You could say that man won the lottery. Somebody else could say that man is just, he, he's having fun in church. Some of you might have thought that was hilarious. Others of you might even be offended and think he's being carnal and in the flesh. He's up there seeking attention. Another person that has traveled could say that what you see is cultural. Now, you'd have to travel outside of your little circle to be able to know that. And if you took your eyes off of him, which would have been hard to do, and looked at those in the audience, they were dancing also. Yeah. Now the real kicker, you don't know this, but this happened right here in Houston, Texas. That's not overseas, that's a church here in Houston. That's Brother Franklin. He's on YouTube. And I want to present to you another possibility. Could it believe, be that he believes so strongly in God's promises now, you, you saw him do that little slam dunk with his tithing and offering envelope. I, I directed you. I said, watch it. It's getting ready to happen. It was so fast, you might have missed it. But could it believe, be that he believes so strongly in the promises of God that he's dancing in anticipation of what's about to happen in his life because he's getting ready to give his tithe and his offering? Amen. I've long contended that when you get saved, the thing that doesn't get changed is this up here. 
And people come into the church, and you've heard it all your life. The church is after your money. The preacher's after your money. And in some cases, you're right. I'm just leveling with you. I, in some cases, not here, but in some cases, you're absolutely right. That's why I am personally opposed to the prosperity message that I hear some people preaching, you know, because it's basically they always ended up how? The same way. Now get your purse out, get your checkbook out, your credit card out, because that blessing I've been telling you is coming. You sow a seed to me and God will bless you. That to me seems terribly self-serving and appeals to the base nature of human beings. Amen. As I've said before, sow a seed to meet your need to feel my greed. That I'm opposed to. Amen. But on the other hand, I believe that God intends to give his people resources because we have been commissioned with a great responsibility and a task. Churches cost money to build. Yes, they do. Whether it's in a third world country or not, you need resources. And if God's people are struggling and can't even take care of their own family, how are they going to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ? So from the perspective of resources that are being released for our assignment and for us to complete our assignment, I believe very strongly in that. Amen. Very strongly in that. Could it be this man is dancing in anticipation of knowing what God's about to release in his life? Now, before you're too quick to say one thing or another, this guy now has a testimony on YouTube, too, because this thing went viral. Hundreds of thousands of people watch this, and they want to know what's making that man dance. When you hear his testimony, it's pretty incredible. Now, it's true that that is an African congregation, but it is here in Houston, Texas, African immigrants. And I am often in the continent of Africa, as you know, just flew in from there yesterday. And um, I will say this. I've preached in Presbyterian churches where they do that right there. Baptist. The only thing different in Africa is the name above the door. They even do that in Catholic churches. I've been to Catholic mass and watched that. Amen. So when you say maybe it's kind of cultural, maybe. But according to this guy's testimony... He can't help but dancing because God's done so many things for him. All I would say is if you ever go to a church where he's at, be careful. <laughs> lest you get tackled when he does that dive that he did. You saw he almost got that one lady. Amen. And between me and you, that backwards thing, <laughs> that's a lot harder to do than you realize. I've fallen down before and it didn't turn out as well as it did with him. But I will say this. God understands that we cannot do our task without the resources necessary to fulfill our assignment. It is necessary to have authority over resources to truly experience lasting elevation. And I'm talking about elevate your life. There's no way that's going to happen without resources accompanying your elevation. 
God wants us to have authority over resources. And I want to say it again, that I'm talking about not money, but money. We need money on the level of a Bill Gates or an Apple computer or a Saudi prince. And you see, the problem is, is like I said, you carry into the kingdom of God all of that negative programming that occurred when you were in the world in a lifetime of sin. You get saved, but the stuff between your ears has to be programmed out. And the real task of the believer, what constitutes becoming a disciple is emptying the junk out and putting the word of God in and accepting this as the new reality. Amen. That's where the real struggle is, transforming and renewing your mind. Now, abundance is relative, and I want you to understand what I mean by it being relative. What may seem like a lot to one person can actually be very little to another. To a homeless man, $10 may be a lot. To Bill Gates, a million dollars is not a lot. You understand what I mean? Everything is relative. I had a friend of mine, he's going to be with the Lord. His name was Chuck Mahaney, Charles Mahaney. He was a great evangelist. And we would all good-naturedly tease Charles about his, his size. He was as big around as he was tall. And um, we'd tease him about his appetite and his eating habits. Before God saved him, He used to be a member of a rough bike gang, and he was a rough guy before he was saved. He had been in prison 17 different times. I mean, the guy was bad. You know what I mean? (laughs) And he experienced a tremendous conversion, had a head-on collision with a cross, and got saved and remarkably transformed. He became such a gentle guy. And he was called into ministry, and he used to love to do street ministry, prison ministry, go back and preach to guys, had tremendous rapport with street people and people behind bars, and was greatly used of the Lord. One time he was preaching, now I'm talking about a rough guy. This is a guy, they, he wasn't by any means or stretch of the imagination handsome. <laughs> they, you, Chuck Mahaney, or Chuck Haney, uh, Mahaney, he, he, was, he was not a handsome-looking guy. He would never grace the cover of GQ magazine. It was like his face had caught on fire and someone beat it out with a wet stick or something. I mean, he just wasn't the best-looking guy around. He'd screw that face up, had a hand that was like, I mean, like a catcher's mitt. And one time he's preaching, and this guy comes up to him and starts pushing him around and cussing him out. And Chuck looked at him and said, you better pray I don't backslide while you're doing this. (laughs) And the guy said, why? And Chuck said, because I used to walk over guys bigger than you getting to the fight. The guy let him alone. Amen. And we used to tease Chuck, as I said, about his appetite. One day somebody told me, said, Chuck Mahaney, said I was with him. That he drives up to Popeye's fried chicken late at night after a church service. He's got his wife and kids in the car. And he speaks to the, uh, through the speaker there to the teller at the drive-thru window and said, Yeah, I want a, a bucket of fried chicken and, and I'll take all of the sides and a two-liter Diet Coke and some extra biscuits. And, and 
the attendant says, is that all? And he said, no, wait just a minute. And he turns around and turns to his wife. Her name was Nina. He said, Nina, what do you and the kids want? <laughs> he was a big guy. Amen. Amen. Everything is relative. Now, this is a joke I'm about to tell you. What I just told you is true, but this is a joke. There was a businesswoman that had just made millions of dollars for a Saudi oil shake. And as she was leaving, the oil shake offered her diamonds and rubies and a silver-plated Rolls Royce, but she declined. The sheik insisted that she take something. And she said, no. She said, but please, it's our culture. It's our custom. You've been so good. You've made me a lot of money. Let me buy you something. And she said, well, I've just started to golf. A, a set of golf clubs would be nice. A few weeks later, she received an email from the sheikh. So far, I've bought you three golf clubs. I hope you aren't disappointed that only two of them have swimming pools. That's money. That's money. Everything is relative. I'm thinking golf club. He's thinking golf club with 18 holes. You understand what I'm talking about? In this text that we have used, Jesus demonstrates incredible authority over resources. I used a text earlier in this series found in Matthew 21 where Jesus demonstrated incredible spiritual authority, so much so that the chief priests and religious leaders were amazed and came to him and asked him where he received this authority. Matthew 21 and verse 23 it says, now after Jesus entered the temple courts, the chief priests and elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? By what authority are you doing these things? Things that they saw him do prompted their question about spiritual authority. What things did they see? There are three things in that chapter alone. The chapter begins with Jesus telling two of his disciples to go over to a village and they will find a colt that no man has ever ridden and they're to bring the colt to him and he's going to ride it in the triumphal entry into Jerusalem the week of his passion as it begins. Now we read this, these things, like I said, and we just kind of flip through the pages of the Bible and read it. We don't realize how significant an event there was that we just read about. We just, just go right on reading like, oh yeah, okay, that's cool. No, wait a minute. They didn't have Fords and Chevys and Cadillacs and, and they didn't have Lincolns and Escalades and they didn't have Porsches or Mercedes-Benz or Volvos back in that day. They rode donkeys. Now, before you say, oh, yeah, that's cool. I, I went over and just asked for the man's donkey. What would happen if you bought a new Escalade and whenever you got out, you were sitting there at a restaurant, looked out, and some guy's climbing in and about to drive it out off, and you run out and ask him, where are you going? He says, oh, the Lord hath need of this. The master hath need of yeah. Okay, that's fine. Go ahead and take it. I, you, you're not going back to finish your iced tea. No, you're not. You're going to be calling 911. Jesus demonstrated incredible authority over resources. The second thing that he did was he upturned and upended the tables of the money changers and drove them out of the temple 
this was a part of their culture and their religious system that I explained. I don't have time to go back into today. But Jesus was demonstrating by that authority over religious systems. And the third thing, he walked up to a fig tree. These are the things that made them ask, who gave you the authority to do these things? These were the things. He walked up to a fig tree. It was not even the season for figs. Figs produce at a certain time of the year. And he inspected the tree looking for figs and found none and cursed the tree so that it subsequently withered and died, literally within the space of 12 hours and dried up. And you ask why he did that. It was because he came as the second Adam before man fell. There were no seasons of fruit bearing. Everything bore fruit every month of the year. And what Jesus did is come to restore to man what the enemy robbed from us. And as the second Adam, he pulled those leaves back looking for figs, and some should have popped out there. But that tree was in rebellion to spiritual or apostolic authority. And so it didn't bear fruit, and he cursed it, and it died. Because if you're not in alignment with apostolic authority, you see, you don't get to, to, to bear fruit later on either. Amen. And so he demonstrates three levels of spiritual authority right there that have even the chief priest and the scholars and the leaders confounded. And the elders, the, that is the Sanhedrin, the 70 rulers of the nation of Israel. And that, that amazed them. He also, in other places in the Bible, demonstrated incredible authority over resources. He sent Peter, as I said, to catch this fish. And once again, I make the point, do you realize how many fish there are in the ocean? And he would send and direct the one that picked up a coin in its mouth to find Peter's hook before another fish could grab it. And says, the first fish that comes to your hook, he puts all the others. I don't care how hungry you are. That's not your hook and that's not your worm right there. That's for the fish that has the, the gold coin in his mouth. And he directs that fish from wherever it is to the very spot where Peter is standing on the shore with a hook in the water. And Peter hauls it out and opens the, the fish's mouth and extracts the coin. And it's there just as Jesus said, that, as I said, is pretty amazing to me. He also demonstrated incredible re uh, re authority over resources when he broke on two different occasions a few fishes and loaves and fed one time 4,000, another five, but those were only the figure for men. 4,000 men, 5,000 men, two different events. They had many children in those days. The wives would have been there. We're talking about in excess of 30,000 people probably at these events and Jesus fed them with a few little fishes and loaves whoa that is heavy duty authority over resources amen he did a number of other things that I've not even mentioned that indicate authority over resources the Old Testament we see that Moses and the children of Israel had authority over resources and fed and watered themselves and their families and their livestock in what may be the single most inhospitable place on this planet, the desert they were in gets one-tenth of an inch of rainfall every ten years. That's pretty austere. That's pretty severe. Yet, 
God gave them authority over resources to such a degree that for 40 years, a nation numbering over two and a half million people were sustained in that kind of an environment. Manna on the ground literally every morning when they woke up. And a rock that from its center burst forth a resource of water that could not be quenched, a river of water, and that rock followed them through their 40 years of wandering in the desert. That is pretty astonishing resources to me. Most people even misunderstand what the desert is about. And you ask them, how you doing? Oh, I'm going through a dry place, a real rough place in my life right now. And I'm praying for God to end it. Do you know what God told Israel about the wilderness? And Hosea, he said, I brought you into the wilderness to speak peaceably unto you. I brought you to show you that I can take care of you in the worst environment in the world. That my commitment to you is so complete that you can trust me. Because in an area that gets less than a tenth of an inch of rain in 10 years, I'm going to take care of you. You can't ever doubt me after this. Amen. Furthermore, when we consider that Jesus was the body of Christ, who is the body of Christ today? We are. He had an unlimited, as it were, it appears, authority over resources. What does that say to us today? And in the Old Testament, the story of Israel and Moses is referred to by Paul in the New Testament as the story of the church in the wilderness. That's what they were called. If both Christ, the body that we are to represent today, and the church of the wilderness had authority over resources that transcended their environmental circumstance, that is, let me make it plain to you, didn't depend or rely upon the economy. Regardless of what the Dow Jones did, they still had resources in the middle of the desert. Oh, somebody needs to say, I'm claiming my resources in the middle of my desert. I'm serious. You can change your circumstance. Let's get this stuff transformed up here and renewed. Amen. Without fail, when God elevated people in the Bible, they were given authority over the resources necessary to fulfill their assignment and mission. As they were elevated, their authority over resources supernaturally increased in proportion to the level of elevation they experienced. Abraham was elevated at the same time, given incredible authority over resources. So was Joseph and very many others with whom we are familiar. The children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, were given authority over resources because up until the day they came out, they were slaves. But as they came out, God supernaturally directed the Egyptians, just like he directed that fish to find Peter's hook. God supernaturally directed the Egyptians to give them their silver and their gold. And the people who had yesterday been slaves, today are wealthy because God is giving them the resources, watch it, to be able to move into Canaan and build a sustainable economy. Amen. That's their assignment. Amen. Did you know that in the New Testament, the church had such authority over resources 
The scriptures tell us that it literally had its own welfare system for taking care of widows and orphans and other believers in need. There were no governmental assistance programs back then. There was no social security. There was no welfare. There were no food stamps in that day. And many cultures in that day and some to this present hour, when you become old, you have to leave the village and go out into the wilderness until you die. That way in certain parts of Tanzania right now, other places in Africa, that way in the Amazon River Basin, when you become old and you cannot produce more than you're taking out of the village, you get sent out into the jungle to perish. Amen. You get moved out. And in that day, that was pretty much the way things went. And yet the church was so blessed that whenever widows and orphans were in need, the church is the one that took care of them. They didn't need a program put together by the government. And just between me and you, I think the church probably administrated their welfare assistance program a lot better than the ones that we have in place set up by governments in our world today. Well-intentioned, and I thank God that they want to help, but the bottom line is this. God used his own people to take care of his own people. Somebody in the building say amen. When God's people have authority over resources, it is often a sign of divine approval. Read, for example, in Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 2. Now it shall come to pass... If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will what? Set you high. That's elevation. I need somebody to say, God's getting ready to elevate me and set me high. He will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all of these blessings shall come upon you and shall overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. When God elevates you, blessings start chasing you down rather than you chasing blessings down. Now let me make it plain. What that means is that contract comes looking for you. That application comes looking for you. That job comes knocking at your door. I need somebody in the building to get this reality firmly embedded in their thinking processes. Turn to your neighbor and say, blessings are going to chase you down. Amen. Because we have our minds fixed on this thought that I'm supposed to chase after blessings. No, 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 no. Whenever you walk in God's favor and he elevates you, blessings come looking for you. Amen. Seldom, if ever, do you read in the scripture where God was pleased with his people and they didn't experience authority over resources. Seldom, if ever. This chapter goes on to list a number of the ways that God promised to bless us if we served him faithfully. Many of these promises have to do with resources. Amen. Not all of them. Some of them are 
or, or different kinds of blessings, but many of them do have to do with resources. For example, Deuteronomy 28 and 8, the Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. You're not hearing me. All to which you set your hand. Every application I fill out is going to be blessed. Every contract I put together is going to be blessed. Every business I start, I've got a right to claim blessing because all I put my hand on. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. I need you to get this in your mind. God wants to give you something. Now, that's part of what we have to work through in terms of our previous and incorrect indoctrination and socialization into a fallen world. We don't know that God wants to give us something. We have been taught you got to work for it. Your culture can actually stand in your way of your blessing. I'm serious. Jesus said concerning a Roman centurion, I've not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. Why? His governmental structure was different and it allowed him to understand authority in such a way that he knew Jesus didn't even have to go to his house. He could speak the word and his servant that was sick at home would be healed. But the Jewish people who were raised in the church, raised in faith, raised with a Bible, hello somebody, who didn't have that kind of governmental structure, but they had operated under a theocracy for some time up until their captivity, or their, as a, uh, not captivity, but their conquest and ultimately their subjugation as a nation by foreign empires, uh, four of them in fact, but up until that time, their theocracy did not allow them to understand the concept that this man raised in a dictatorship clearly was able to comprehend. And Jesus said, this old boy has never been to church, but he knows more about what I'm coming here to do than some of you that have been raised on a church pew. Hello, somebody. Amen, amen. I will bless you and the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And so some of us, even our religious heritages can hinder us. Our national culture can hinder us. In America, for example, we're told you work for what you get. You pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Say it with me. There ain't no free lunch. Oh, that's where you're wrong, baby. When you get in the kingdom of God, grace makes all kind of things available to you that you can't work long enough to get. Amen. Being from good Southwest Catholic Louisiana, I know God's going to get you if you don't do right. Amen. So it's all about works. Hello, someone. You got to earn and merit your way through. And again, God wants to give you something. I just need to say that. God wants to give you something. I didn't say God wants you to earn something. I said God wants to give you something. I didn't say that God wants you to be good enough that you can merit something. I said God wants to give you something. Amen. Deuteronomy 28 and 11, and the Lord will grant you plenty. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Plenty of goods and the fruit of your body and the increase of your livestock and in the produce of your ground and the land which the Lord swore 
or swore to your fathers to give you. Did you see that word plenty, P-L-E-N-T-Y? God doesn't want you to live from Friday to Friday and paycheck to paycheck. God wants you to have plenty. I need you to get this in your heart. Amen. I'm not preaching a prosperity message based on, you know, give me something when I get done preaching here. I'm telling you, this is the God that we serve. He wants to bless you so you have plenty. Somebody in the building say amen. He don't want you living from one debt to another, struggling through life. In fact, a sign of God's favor upon a government or a nation is a strong economy. Look at what happened to the economy of Israel under King Solomon. Abundant resources were enjoyed by everyone regardless of your social strata, not just the ruling elite at the top as is the case in most nations right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, usually the ones at the top sweep the cream off and if you don't mind me quoting my grandmother, leave the blue john to the rest of us, amen. That's the milk that the cream has been taken off the top, amen. The, 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 the low-fat stuff, that's now valuable these days. When I was a kid, we didn't think it that way at all. But listen, when God blesses a nation, their economy gets blessed. First Kings 20, or 10 rather in 27, and the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones and cedars made he to be as the sycamore trees that are in the vale for abundance. Ah, Lord. Would you like to have so much silver that it's like stones in your driveway? Mm. Or decorative stones landscaping in your lawn. That's what happened when God blessed the nation of Israel. Not only that, not only does God have a give, want to give his people authority over resources because he does this as a sign of divine approval and not only... Is it a sign of God's favor upon government for a nation to have a strong economy? But you need to understand the very nature of God itself is tied up in this. God enjoys blessing people so much, amen, that you know what he will do? Listen to this. God will bless sinners that aren't even serving or practicing righteousness just to lead them to repentance. Oh, we hadn't been taught that. We've been taught God to give you cancer to make you repent. God will take your firstborn to make you repent. God will let, cause you to lose your job and go bankrupt to make you repent. You want to hear the word? Romans 2 and 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Woo! God will bless you so much when you're a sinner, a pagan, not even practicing righteousness, that after a while you'll have to look up and say, where is all of this coming from? Amen. God wants to bless you. That's his nature in his heart. Amen. On the other hand, a lack of resources among God's people often is indicative of this one thing. It means that we aren't doing something right. Haggai 1, 6 through 7, you have sown much and bring in little. Is that the biography of some in this room? Is that the life story of some here today? You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. 
You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, huh, I love the descriptive language of the Bible, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. You get your check cast and you're walking home and there's a trail of dollar bills on the sidewalk behind you. You get home, you don't have enough to make the week last. Are you tired of living like that? I want to tell you how to move to another level in your authority over finances. I need somebody to say, I'm moving into plenty. Would you do that? I'm moving into plenty because God wants to give me something. And notice what he said. He didn't say, consider my ways. Uh, he said in the next verse, thus saith the Lord of hosts, if this is happening, you consider your ways. It's not God that's broke. And by broke, I'm, I don't mean without resources. I mean, it's not God that is in a state of disrepair. He's not the one with dysfunction. What he's saying is, I want to bless you so much that if this is happening to you, you consider your ways. Don't try to worry about what's wrong with me. You're the one who's got a little something that needs to be corrected right here. <laughs> consider your ways. And you know what really blesses me about this? <laughs> what blesses me is that if God says it's our ways and calls attention to this being the problem, then it means implicit in this, suggested in this, is that if we tweak and correct the problem, we will also change the outcome. What that means is if it's my ways, I can fix it. If it's God's problem, I'm gonna have to live with it because I can't change God. But if the problem is in here, I can change that and ultimately change the outcome. I'm getting ready to release in this house authority over resources that are going to change your life. Mm. Amen. Uh, my time is gone. I, somebody shoot that clock up there, would you? Stand with me. I gotta quit. I'm just getting to the good part. And I like to say the good part till last. I don't know what you do when you eat. I save what's best on my plate till last. Y'all know what I'm talking about? If they got some of those old nasty vegetables that I just eat because I know it's good for me, but I don't really like them, that's the first thing I do. I'll eat all of the spinach on the plate. Now, I'm being a little bit untruthful because my wife has been instructed not to serve spinach in my house. That way I don't have to eat the spinach on my plate. But what I like the least is what I eat first, and what I like the most is what I save till last. Mm. I won't get to do that today. I'm trying to save the best till last, but time just ran out on me. I want you to come and join me, and I'll finish this message when I come back to preach again on this subject.